0: Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. I drive,
1: center field, hit the wall, grand slam! This is magnificent. Got
0: a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where
1: fantasy becomes reality.
2: Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Sleepers, breakouts, and busts are in the books for but well, welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today. This is our official strategy podcast. Trying something new this year. It was a light day of spring training action, so I wanted to dedicate an entire podcast to just game theory and strategy for all of the different formats. We're going to try and get to everything today. Head-to-head points, roto, head-to-head categories, salary cap leagues, some AL only, NL only, dynasty, some in-season stuff as well. We'll hit it all. Today, this is our official strategy podcast. But before all of that, last year I would like to say that we were collectively the Corey Seager podcast. We were—that was official. We were all on record. We were very excited about Corey Seager. Upon talking, Zach talk- Gallon, uh, we like Gallon a lot as well. We also yeah. liked Rich Hill. So I mean, can, can, mm, you can, know. can only can only pump up the like things that we news. are right about. So I, <laughs> upon talking to you guys before we got started, I just realized that we are officially. The Miles Straw podcast. And I you love to see it. I, I did not know this, but we're talking, we're comparing, contrasting our great fantasy baseball invitational teams, 15 team roto drafts. And I'm like, yeah, my outfield stinks. I got Miles Straw as my fifth outfielder. Scott goes, wait, I have Miles Straw as my fifth outfielder. And then Chris goes, I can do you one better. He's my fourth outfielder.
1: How about that? Miles Straw. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, you know, he's 4A, 4B with Christian Pache, you know, either one of them. You take any given day. It's not ideal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm fine with it.
0: I'm fine with it. This is. Uh, I needed some steals still, and if he is the Astros' everyday center fielder, he will contribute steals. If he's the Astros' everyday leadoff hitter, which seems to be the direction they're leading right leaning right now, then he'll contribute a lot of runs too. So I think. Uh, I think he's a legit sleeper. I mean. The the non power hitter profile is a difficult one to land in today's environment, and you know maybe pitchers will find out there's nothing to fear there and just blow the bat out of his hands and it's all over at that point. But I'll I'll take the chance given on given the role that the Astros are carving out for him, and you know
1: obviously a solid minor league track record. Yeah, he's averaged uh, his 150 game pace between Double A AA and Triple A uh, is 65 stolen bases with like a 90% ca- uh, success rate, I think.
2: Yeah, 170 steals in the minors, 43 caught stealing. So that is a that is a great success rate. And back in 2018, he stole 70 bases in the minors. With all that being said, he, he does have four home runs in 469 career games in the minors there. So that is all the player analysis that you will get today. Miles Straw. So I hope you enjoyed it. The rest will just be strategy. Let's jump right in so we can get to as much of these formats as we possibly can. Rotisserie, also known as Roto, also known as the standard five-by-five format. And if you didn't listen to it, go back and listen to our Saturday mailbag from this past weekend. We explained the differences between each format. We didn't talk as much about our specific strategies, I wanted to save that for today, but we more so focused on what goes into our rankings and explaining just the differences between specifically Roto, head-to-head points, and head-to-head categories. So we did that on our mailbag. This past weekend, before we get into the actual strategy for rotisserie leagues, some have emailed in and asked about category targets, what should you be trying to achieve in each of your categories, and this changes year in and year out, but I looked back at the hitting targets from 2019, which was obviously the last full season, and based on an article that Chris, our very own Chris Towers, wrote last year, Assuming 12-team leagues with your standard categories, this is what you needed to finish in first place in each back in 2019. A 278 batting average, 383 home runs, 1,183 runs scored, 1,137 RBI, and 152 steals. That means the average 5x5 line that you should target for each of your hitters. It's not going to work out this way, but people have asked this as well. 278 batting average, 27 home runs, 84 runs scored, 81 RBI, and 10.8 steals. You know, good luck finding 10.8 steals. That's to win
0: every category. that's to win it, which you don't need to do. I think correct. Years ago, I remember Tristan Cockroft, who writes for ESPN now. He uh, he had a rule that he wanted to finish fourth in every category, which will probably work out more times, more often than not, if you do that. But, um, you know, obviously, that's you're not going to have a steady finish across the board anyway. But like that that's just something to keep in mind. You don't have to win every category or any category.
2: It's a good point and you only have to win each counting stat category by one. So having the most steals in the world sure it's beneficial if you if trading is allowed in your league, then you could trade off some of your steals once you get into first place, but you only need to win the category by one. So keep that in mind. And speaking of steals, just to remind everybody the scarcity of steals in a roto league. In 2019, there were just 2280 steals across baseball, that was the lowest total for a full season since nineteen seventy three. So they are down last year, based on last year's numbers, they were actually on pace over 162 games for I think it was twenty four hundred steals. So- yeah, twenty
1: four sixty seven. I, I just did so I, I just did a look at um I just averaged the plate appearances from twenty sixteen to twenty nineteen and then paced that out for twenty twenty and it would have been twenty four sixty seven. So a couple hundred more. So that's good. Uh, but still the second lowest of the last four, five years. Yeah, so if you're wondering why we're drafting Miles Straw in a
2: 15-team <clears throat> Roto League, that's exactly why. Because yes. steals are not easy to come by. On the pitching side, this is what you needed to finish first in each category back in 2019. 103 wins, 100 saves, uh, 1,622 strikeouts, a 3.497 ERA, a 1.131 whip. So say you start six starting pitchers and three relief pitchers, you roughly need... 11 wins per pitcher, 33 saves per each of your relievers. Good luck with that. And 180 strikeouts per pitching slot. With all of that being said, Scott, we'll start with you. What is your strategy when it comes to drafting in a roto league? Do you target specific positions or specific categories earlier in the draft? I I assume this is where you wax poetic about pitchers.
0: Well, of course. The the scarcity in every league is high-end pitching is... Pitching that um, isn't going to destroy you, basically. Uh, And and that you can only feel confident about drafting early. But, you know, the single biggest scarcity in Roto League, specifically 5 by 5 leagues, is stolen bases. So um, the hitters... I I mean, that's why Mike Trout never goes number 1 overall anymore, right? I mean, he's still as good of a hitter as he ever was, but he's not really contributing to that category in a way others like Ronald Acuna and and Fernando Tatis and even like Juan Soto are. So um, it's really kind of overtaken the game just because there are so few players that contribute to it and it's as essential a category as any. So, um, you know, ideally you would get a pretty nice start in that category. I find that I am too interested in taking pictures and too interested in taking non-base stealing values like Corey Seeger and Alex Bregman and Anthony Rendon. It, it's rare that I actually get many steals early on, um, you know, unless I happen to pick very early and can take like an Acuna or Tatis type. It's rare that I actually do that. And, you know, I'm, I'm not that worried about it. I'm not as worried as I was last year. I feel like there are more, and, and you know, Chris mentioned this, the steals pace actually went up across the league last year. I feel like there are more mid and late route fallback options for that category than there were last year. Guys like Miles Straw, um, guys like John Birdie, Tommy Edmund in the middle rounds, uh, and a lot more. Uh, You know, you don't need a lot of steals to be competitive in the category. That's one category I don't aim to win. I just want to finish kind of in the middle of the pack. And I think you can do that without making a huge investment in it. Still, it's it's optimal to get it, to get some contribution to that early.
1: And yeah, if you get <clears throat> if you get a hundred, you're probably going to finish around the middle of the pack in twenty nineteen. Uh, One hundred and three was seventh place. One hundred and eight was sixth place. So, aim mm-hmm. for a hundred six or seven per roster spot.
2: Early on in a roto draft, the hitters that I want to target are at least contribute. In one of batting average or steals. So, Scott, you mentioned that you like to target Bregman and Corey Seeger, even Anthony Rendon, we all like him as well. I mean, those are going to be hopefully with Bregman as well, four category contributors where they afford you the luxury to take steals contributors later on in your drafts that are, are not going to give you power or they might be a drain on your batting average. You get that early on and then you could take some chances on some steals guys later. And the same thing uh, with power if you need that late in your draft. Chris. Do you have a specific Roto
1: strategy that you like to use? Um, it's like Scott said, it's more about stat scarcity than positional scarcity. Um, you can find, uh, in a 12 team league, especially with the exception of catcher, there's probably someone you'll feel good about starting at pretty much every spot. Assuming you don't wait until the 20th round to grant draft, start drafting, starting hitters. Um, but for me, I think my general strategy in roto is probably one pitcher by the f- hopefully first two rounds, uh, another pitcher in the fifth and sixth round range. And then I really like the 100 to 150 range in ADP for starting pitcher. So I probably get uh, like my number three, four, and five starters out of that group. I wrote about that on CBS Sports last week. Um, so, you know, I, I think. You know, Scott and I disagree a lot about starting pitchers famously, but it's funny. In the end, we kind of both have the same strategy. Like, we're both aiming for five of the top. Like, Yours is like top 35 or so. Yeah. yeah. Mine Which roughly st-
0: translates to five of my first picks, first 10 picks in starting pitchers.
1: Yeah. Mine is more like, I mean, let me look at my rankings and see like, Based on what you're saying, Chris, five of my top forty to forty-five ish. Yeah, I was gonna say forty-five makes sense for you, which is different. But you know, once you get down there, I think you know, Scott. I think you have Dylan Bundy as a top thirty-five pitcher. Uh, I have him as a top forty-five pitcher. So it's you know, it's it's mostly we just like different guys.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can see how it would come down to that. And and I'll also point out that it's easier to justify five starting pitchers with the first 10 picks in something like a 12-team league versus something yep. like a 15-team league when I just couldn't do it. I mean, I, I spent three of my first four picks on starting pitchers in TGFBI here uh, and then took I took a fourth one, I think, in round eight. But I couldn't get that fifth one in. There were, it was just sacrificing too much. And it was already clear in a 15-team league that I had a pretty big starting pitcher advantage. So, yeah. um, you know, deeper leagues like that, You obviously have to be reasonable, but the bottom line is I want to try to have the strongest pitching staff coming out of the draft because uh, bad things are going to happen to everybody's pitching staff, and I want to be the one everybody comes to when when the bad things happen to overpay for pitching.
1: To be clear, when we say pitcher in this context, we're talking about starting pitcher. Correct. Right. I don't think any of the three of us is all that interested in spending a top 100 pick on a relief pitcher. I don't think I've done it no. in any draft this year. Um, and in TGFBI, which is a 15-team league, I have zero relievers through 24 rounds. <laughs> I'm not saying that's a great idea. Oh, my gosh. Um, But, you know, th- there are so many unsettled closer spots this year at this point that... You know, hopefully by the end of the of the spring we'll have answers. But you know, if you go back to our relief pitcher preview, it was close to half the league uh, who we just didn't really have a strong sense of who the closer would be. So if you throw, you know, three darts at the end of the round and you hit on uh, at the end of the draft and you hit on two of them, you know, that's mm-hmm. a viable strategy for relief pitcher as well. So uh, yeah, for me, that's,
0: that's pretty much my strategy at this point at relief yeah. pitcher, unless. Unless there are, unless there's a really high impact, potentially high impact guy that falls, which yeah. we talked about on the relief pitcher preview. For me, that's James Karinchak. That's Trevor, Trevor Rosenthal, Rosenthal seems to fall. He's dealing with a groin injury now, so we'll see what happens there. But it doesn't sound like a big deal. Uh, Will Smith for the Braves, I think, is on the lower end of that. And kind of Amir Garrett, though, Amir Garrett tends to go so late that he kind of fits into the strategy of just waiting till the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, but otherwise, I'm loading up on, like, the Greg Hollins, the Joaquin Soria's, the... the uh, uh, um, Daniel Bard. Daniel Bard, that's the name I was thinking of for the Rockies, yeah. Because, like, <laughs> they look like they're in position to be their team's closers. And, you know, even if they're not good enough to keep the job, Whatever that's that's going to go for half the position. You're not you're not the, the closers you draft are very unlikely to be your save sources all season long. I just want to try and narrow down the guys who are going to be there at the beginning.
2: I will say I agree. I'm not going to use a top 100 pick on a closer usually, but top 150. I think I will. I'll I'll try to get one of my top 12. I mentioned in the relief pitcher preview that 10 to 12 range. That's the last of the ones that. I feel good about, and again, that's that's a relative term among relief pitchers, but you know, guys like Craig Kimbrell and uh, Kirby Yates, and right in that mix.
1: Just to highlight what middle of the road in the save category looked like in 2019, uh, you could finish sixth place with 66 saves. Okay, so yeah, that's about so, 22 saves per relief pitcher spot. Assuming, Chris, let me
2: ask you, it, it, you have nine pitcher spots in a Roto League. You're starting usually is it six starting pitchers and three relief pitchers 7 and 2
1: uh it depends what what the how the draft goes in <laughs> TGFBI, right. we'll probably be starting nine starting pitchers uh to open the season and we'll see what happens um you know it depends on the relievers i'm not going to start uh i ideally i would rather not start a like 4.5 ERA closer just because he's getting saves if he's one of two that i have i might not have a choice but I think the ideal would be two pretty good closers if you can get them. It's, else? it's
0: rare to see a guy with a 450 ERA keep that role for sure, long sure. anymore. Like yeah. the days of Mike Williams. Yeah, uh, closing like that's that's uh who you don't see a lot of that anymore. But I, I do. Okay, so you said 66 saves was good for sixth place two years ago, Chris. Yeah, in a 12-team. And what was what was first place? 100. Like here's the thing of. I feel like saves is the easiest category to win. I go into every year planning on winning saves without making that big of an investment in relief pitcher because, like, if you're just consistent about pursuing those guys on the waiver wire, you don't gotta try and like, you know, there there are some new closer candidates, particularly early in the year, where everybody blows out their budget to pick up, but at at some point saves fatigue will set in and it gets a lot easier to get those guys and you no, just I mean, have to be consistent about it.
1: You just look at like a situation like Cleveland where they have, you know, I think we all probably agree James Karinczak is the best option there, but Nick Wittgren's a really good reliever and Emmanuel Class a could be a lights out closer. That was the that was the scouting report on him when they traded Corey Kluber for him. So, you know, if Karenchak, you know, he threw nine straight balls in a recent outing. Uh, I think I read that in Scott's uh, mm-hmm. spring notebooks column. You know, if he falters or if they just don't trust him, it could be Nick Whitgren. And if Nick Whitgren, Whitgren fail, like there are a, a more good relievers than good closers. Um, yeah. And yeah, if you're active on the, like shooting for a hundred saves on, on draft day is way overkill. Like if you get, if you're the kind of person who wants to get, Lockdown elite closers. Take Liam Hendricks and Aroldis Chapman and don't think about it ever again. Because if you're investing that much in those two guys, if they lose their jobs, it's like there's no point in having a backup.
2: And there are different ways to win in fantasy and specifically in Roto. Just because we're telling yes. you not to use a top 100 pick sure. on a reliever doesn't mean that it can't work. And I know you brought this up before as well, Chris, that if there's ever a year to target those guys like Liam Hendricks and Chapman say they pitch, you know, 60 to 70 innings each. That can be with the with the ratios that they give you, that can be half of an elite starting pitcher. We can yeah, tell, you know, an elite starting pitcher might only give you 150 innings this year.
1: And that's something to keep in mind when you're building your roto league is um, when you're looking at ratios, so specifically average ERA and whip um you have to think about the numerator and the denominator. So the amount of runs allowed and the innings pitched. And in this season, uh, your innings pitch total is almost certainly going to be lower. Um, I'm not sure. I think it's like 1200 or 1400 innings pitched is what you usually end up with um, what the average fantasy team ends up with in a 12 team league. Um, You know, this year that might be 1200. And so that's something to keep in mind: is the elite relievers should have a bigger impact on your uh, ratios, which doesn't just apply to a Liam Hendricks, but could also apply to a James Karinchak if he doesn't get saves, or a Nick Anderson, or
2: Devin Williams, uh, any of
1: those guys. Devin Williams, and and then that also, you know, both makes a low inning elite pitcher potentially more valuable if you can get them at a discount, and. You know, if Trevor Bauer pitches 210 innings with a three ERA, that's going to be hugely valuable. Mm-hmm. Correct.
2: Yep, good stuff there. Before we get to head-to-head points, I do want to promote a few things. It is the month of madness, and the Ion College Basketball Podcast is here as your audio guide for the entire NCAA tournament. Gary Parish and Matt Norlander will offer a complete breakdown as soon as the bracket is announced on Sunday. So you stand a chance in your pool this year. The coverage continues with reactions after each day of games and previews of upcoming rounds. If you want the best March Madness analysis, subscribe to the Eye on College Basketball podcast anywhere you find this podcast, Fantasy Baseball Today. Speaking of March Madness, you can create a pool to compete against your friends or fill out your bracket for the chance to win a Nissan Rogue Ooh. and a trip to the 2022 Final Four. You can play on the CBS Sports app or at cbssports.com slash brackets. All right, let's talk about head-to-head points leagues now and specifically the strategy
1: here. This is probably...
2: Do you have the breakdown, Chris? Is this the most played format on CBS Sports Leagues? Head-to-head points? I feel like it I think is. It's,
1: I think it's a plurality, but not a majority. Okay. Or something like that. Okay. Whatever that means. <laughs> uh, yes, but, the most, but not most. Uh, and I Less w- than 50%. Yes.
2: I will point out that um, I love the head-to-head points format, but I've got to come clean. I think that we, I talk about points leagues less than Adam Azer used to because I, I just... I'm going to lose some people here, man. But I don't think that there is much strategy. Involved in a head-to-head points league as there is in a Roto or even a head-to-head categories league, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But I think in a head-to-head points league, you want to be aggressive on starting pitchers early. You want to target hitters with strong plate discipline who bat in the top half of really good lineups because those hitters will get more plate appearances than hitters on bad teams. Uh, just because, obviously, they're making more plate appearances and they're um, and plate appearances equal more fantasy points. So, with that being said, uh, Scott... What is your general head-to-head points strategy? Are you more aggressive on starting pitchers in this format compared to any of the others? Uh, I I th- I think probably I'm I'm still trying to figure
0: out exactly what I want. We haven't done enough mocks for head-to-head points leagues yet. We're doing one later this week. It's been it's the f- f- it's the format I've played for the longest. It's the format I I've probably done the best in by and large. Um, but it's. You know, it's what you're saying. There's there's some truth to it, I think, Frank. Given the way, given what the environments become, where hitting is so plentiful, and there are so few lineup spots to fill, uh, I'm I'm about to the point, and I I want to I want to rehearse this a few times before I get all the way there. But I'm about to the point where I just want to draft pitchers until all the good ones are gone and then just take whatever's left at hitting and trust myself to, uh, to fill in those hitter spots as optimally as I can over the course of the season and just, you know, make sure I don't get screwed on pitching by cause everybody's going to push them up their draft boards. Um, I think I'm about to that point. I'm about to that point. You know, would I pass up Mike Trout in round two? Probably not, but, <laughs> Barring something probably excessive not. like that. <laughs> barring something excessive like that. I, I, I think I want to try that next time because I I I mean I didn't win the podcast listeners league last year. And it wasn't it was probably the worst finish I had. And it was because I shortchanged pitching. You know, I didn't think I was shortchanging pitching as the draft was playing out, but that it turns out that's what happened.
2: And that's exactly why I rank the three, the, the big three starting pitchers. Jacob DeGrom, Garrett Cole, and Shane Bieber as my top three players in a head-to-head points league this year, Scott, is because I had the first overall pick in our podcast league last year, head-to-head points, and I took Christian Yelich. And by the time starting pitcher came back to me, I think I took Lucas Giolito and Charlie Morton, which, okay, I, I think those were work? two of my top 15, but it did not work out very well. And I think once the season started, I ended up trading... Yelich away for Kershaw and Austin Meadows. I think that was the trade, but you just can never have enough pitching. And the reason why we bring that up in a head-to-head points league is that if you have bad pitching, you are going to get potentially single-digit points out of a start. You might even get negative points out of a start, and you can chase two-start pitchers, which I think is becoming a little bit outdated. Yeah, it it used to be
0: a a way to make up for having a suspect pitching staff, but like, the 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 disappearance of the middle class at starting pitcher is really is really ruined the two start streaming strategy which you know there that's not all a bad thing because it was kind of a lame strategy it kind of ruined the whole head to head points league aspect for for some people it didn't do it for me obviously but it kind of did for some people uh, yeah I don't I don't think that's a reliable strategy at all anymore
2: yeah and, and you pick up two starting pitchers two star pitchers these guys could blow up twice in your lineup. <laughs> you could get negative yeah. points from two starts in a pitcher in the same week. I mean, that's why the elite starting pitcher is as valuable as I think it is at this point in a head-to-head points league. Chris, do you have a specific strategy in this format?
1: Uh, I've definitely drafted starting pitcher a little earlier. Um, and just, you know, we haven't done like a, a regular head-to-head points mock draft in a while, but we did do a salary cap draft recently. And... Um, 29 of the top 59 players in salary were starting pitchers. That's uh, 29 of the 59 players with a salary over $20. So, um, you know, that is when you think about how the the history of uh, salary cap drafts has usually been what 18080 has been the kind of idealized split. 180 of your budget for pit hitters, 80 for your pitchers, something like that. Um, that's a, that's a significant change. And, you know, one, one thing I will say is there are definitely in head to head points because the push for pitching has gotten so extreme. Uh, I think zigging when everyone's zagging is a viable strategy. Um, because you can end up with, you know, five or six top 25 hitters. If you, you know, pursue that strategy and, um, you know, that can that can give you an edge still because, yes, you could have five or six top start top 25 starting pitchers. But Mm -hmm. historically, three of those are going to be good. One of them is going to be nothing. And two of them you might drop. Where do you get your pitchers if you? Oh sure, that's that's uh, that's always it. a question. Like, yeah, that's if, that's if, but,
0: if Sandy Alcantara is your ace, I I don't I don't think it oh, matters. Yeah, I no, you're, I don't think uh, Sandy
1: Alcantara <laughs> should be your ace. Uh yeah. but yeah, I I I think zigging when everyone else is zagging is always a viable strategy, I guess is the the way I would say it. It's not necessarily always going to work out, but you know, one thing about fantasy sports at this point, and I've said this for both football and baseball the last couple of years, is the markets are so efficient. It's so hard to find players who are truly undervalued that if everyone's pursuing the same strategy or if nine out of 12 teams in your league are pursuing the same strategy, that means you have to be better at that strategy than nine different people. Chris, I think you probably have the
2: strongest hands ever. Because whenever I hear you type on the podcast, it sounds so ferocious. Like, it is rapid and it's ferocious. And it's like, I hear it very clearly come through. I, I, it used to be louder, actually, when you had the lav mic. So I, it's gotten my, better, but...
1: My wife was so upset when I told her I was getting a mechanical keyboard for my new computer. Because uh, it's the clickety-clack, you know, that thing. Uh, she, she hates it. Uh, it's really bad that I'm a writer. <laughs> because i i type very fast and very loud uh why I type would you do purpose. that chris why would you get that oh because it's just such a better experience when you're typing i and do i do agree for, with that and for gaming yeah it's better for gaming it's more responsive yeah i don't know much about the uh the keyboard for the
2: gaming but definitely enjoy the uh, the mechanical keyboard when it comes to writing uh just
1: uh, uh,
0: go ahead scott i i did want to add something else here um just so we don't make the entire conversation about pitching. I, I do think you have to play the position scarcity game a little more in head-to-head points leagues than you do in Roto because, you know, there, there are going to be positions in, in a Roto league because there are so many to fill where everybody's just going to have some kind of not-so-great players. But in head-to-head points league, it's that's not necessarily true. You have so yeah. few hitter spots to work with. Uh, as much impact as you can get in each of them is like you don't want to be the guy who gets DD Gregorius as a starting shortstop in a points league. Not that DD Gregorius is bad. You could win with DD Gregorius as your shortstop, but you'll be at a clear disadvantage uh, at that position versus everybody you play. And I know this kind of contradicts what I was saying about starting pitchers, because how are you supposed to have an impact player at every hitter position if you've used all your early picks on pitchers? But I, I think you can shoot for upside. I think you can uh, target the deeper positions later. Uh, the head-to-head points league is probably the position where I'm most likely to invest in catcher for that reason. Like, it's it's you have to differentiate yourself somehow, and that's one of nine hitter spots where you can do that. So I'm not saying I need JT Real Muto necessarily, but, you know, I don't... You know, if I get can get Salvador Perez for a good price or, you know, if I want to shoot for the moon with Mitch Garver over somebody uh, boring and safe like, I don't know, Christian Vasquez, I'd probably do that. You know, there are times when catcher's still the last position I fill in this format, just because it's the way I work. It works out, but I'm I'm more likely to invest in a catcher in this format than I am, even in like a two catcher roto league.
1: And I I think the the positions to wait on probably shortstop in a head to head points league because we have talked about there's kind of that top thirteen. Uh, you you got to pay attention don't get, to what other people are doing. If you because don't get 13, one of that top thirteen, yeah, yeah. if Two if someone takes a shortstop be, stop as yeah. a
0: utility player, which I've seen happen...
1: Then you can't be the last person to take you a You can't be
0: the last person to
1: take a shortstop. Yeah. And, it's, and then Alfield, I think, is uh, yeah. The, yeah. the clear one that you can wait on, and probably third base a little bit.
2: I will just point out with shortstops, Chris, that when we bring up that top 13, that's usually for Roto, where we include guys like Javier Baez. Not that he's completely terrible in a points league, but he just walks so few few times yeah. and he strikes out well, Mondesi
0: so Mondesi, and
2: Mondesi as well yeah, exactly. Mondesi is the, the yeah. one who drops
0: yeah. I think to yeah that's that's so fair he's, um, he's he's startable in this format but he's not a standout
1: and there are and then there are you know you got to remember there are guys like Anthony Rizzo um who is a little bit of an afterthought in Roto at this point I mean he'll he'll go like around 100 or a little later but um you know he's a viable top 75 pick if not earlier
2: Oh, and I, I love getting him to
1: walk a ton. Yep. Um, you know, Max Muncie is someone who's probably a little better in points. Um, Reese Hoskins. Reese Hoskins because he'll walk so much. And um, yeah, so, you know, that's that's the other thing to keep in mind is there are guys like Adalberto Mondesi, um, Keston here kind of for this. Uh, you know, we I like him a lot in both formats, but Uh, he's a lot riskier in head-to-head points, I think, because that strikeout rate could be so bad.
2: Yeah, typically you want to give a boost to players who have better plate discipline in a points league, at least based on the the CBS scoring system where you lose a point for a strikeout, you gain a point for a walk. So high OBP, uh, the less strikeouts, the better for your hitters based on the CBS scoring system. The last thing I will mention about points leagues is quality starts because they are a... You get bonus points for them. Based on the CBS scoring. And I think a lot of people, but just in general, if you play in any type of league that uses quality starts, I realize that we haven't talked a lot about quality starts. We did three starting pitcher previews and we didn't really talk about quality starts at all. So my bad. But yeah, they're 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 a result of pitching well.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: we, we, we talk yeah. about the six inning threshold a lot. Yeah. And that's that's they, the hardest hurdle to clear for a quality start. So yeah. um you know, indirectly, we talked about it, but yeah, I mean, like this this format is where like is where guys like Tyler Glass now, uh, Julio
2: Arias, Blake Snell definitely loses value in this format. I, I don't know.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm hopeful the Padres handle him differently than the Rays did. I Famously, know. Snell made 17 starts, including the playoffs last year, and didn't go six innings in one of them. So I get what you're saying. I'm just. I'm just hopeful that changes now that he's with a different organization, but I just um, don't know if that's a
2: good thing though. Wishful thinking. I feel like the Rays handled them well. They, they handled them the right way. They know something that we don't. They handled
0: them carefully.
2: Yeah. And I think they
0: lost the world
2: series. (laughs) that, That is also true. Uh, I wanted to just point out the, the best pitchers in terms of quality starts the past three years. Um, Chris sent this over to me, so I appreciate it, Chris. But the top 12 in quality start percentage over the last three seasons with a minimum of 40 starts. Jacob DeGrom, Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, Garrett Cole, Hyunjin Ryu, Corey Kluber, Trevor Bauer, Shane Bieber, Zach Granke, Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin, and Aaron Nola. So if you want to give those players a slight boost in a points league, that would probably... it, it's pretty much the best pitchers
1: over the last. Right,
0: so yep. you know lower end guys that would deserve a similar mm-hmm. boost, I think, would be like Dallas Keuchel and Marcus Stroman. Yep. yep. uh Aaron really deep. I,
2: Aaron Savali's got a
1: sixty percent quality start rate in we're, his career.
2: I mean, we're drafting him no matter what. Like, get out of here, <laughs> Scott, with your Savali is a bust. I no, no more Savali slander on this podcast.
0: Brad Keller is going to be <laughs> a surprisingly useful pitcher in this format. Like, uh, I don't think he's must draft, but. Like he's not going to be on the waiver wire for long.
1: Yes, some guys who surprisingly rank relatively high: Miles Michaelis, fifty-eight uh, percent quality start rate over the last three seasons. Um, mm, 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 mm. Jose Barrios, you know, fifty-five percent. His is actually a little higher than Lucas Giolito, although his breakout came in twenty nineteen. Um, Lance McCullers surprisingly fifty-five percent. I would have thought that would have been lower. He would have been a guy who I would have pegged for a for a lower one. He's ahead of guys yeah. uh like Noah Sindergaard, uh Blake Snell, Lance Lynn. I think we just yeah. assume that he
2: doesn't go deep because his innings pitched have been so low, but that's just cuz he gets hurt. I think when he actually yeah. pitches he he goes decently yeah. into his starts, so. Uh
1: yeah. yeah, Brad Keller, Brad Keller has a higher quality start rate than Walker Bueller over the last 3 seasons. <laughs> Walker Buehler 49th.
2: Watch that man in head-to-head points leagues or in any type of quality start leagues as well. But we told you that on our bus podcast yesterday. If you are watching on the video side, don't go anywhere if you are listening on the podcast. We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, head-to-head categories leagues here on Fantasy Baseball Today. All right, so let's jump into head-to-head categories. This is where things just get completely weird. We've (laughs) talked about the Marmol strategy a lot in the offseason, but head-to-head categories is basically a combination of rotisserie and head-to-head points. You're going up against one uh, other opponent, uh, but instead of accumulating fantasy points, you are competing against each other in just those 10 categories. Other people play with more than 10 categories. That's perfectly fine as well. We mentioned it on the Saturday Mailbag, but there are two different types of head-to-head categories leagues the first and i believe to be more popular is where if you beat your opponent in all 10 categories your record becomes 10 and 0 and you just the keep worst. adding to that all season if you win 9 to 1 in week 2 your record then becomes 19 and 1 uh, i'm not saying it's a it's a good thing or a bad thing but i just think it's really it's the more popular I'm format i'm saying it's
1: a bad thing <laughs>
2: chris doesn't like it and then there's the traditional way to play where as long as you just win 6 to 4 every single week you will get one win and your record will become one and O. Oh. With all that being said, Chris, we will start with you with head-to-head categories. What is your strategy in this format? Do you like to build for balance? Will you actually punt a category? If you do like to punt, which category do you punt?
1: Yeah, punting's a lot easier. You can punt starting pitcher uh, to start with. You can punt saves. You can punt stolen bases. It's a little harder to punt. Like, like you can't just punt strikeouts. If you're punting strikeouts, you're probably punting starting pitcher. If you're punting batting average you can um but that usually like you can't really punt home runs you can't really punt rbi you can't really punt runs because those are so well, tied into the other types of hitting production um,
0: I, I don't know that you can completely punt starting pitcher either i don't know if you meant it literally but there is there is a weekly innings minimum right right no i, mean, I, I,
1: I but i i mean like not like like not investing heavily yeah yeah um like you're never gonna like you're never going to literally draft zero stolen bases, uh, unless you like really like. Can you clone Eloy Jimenez? Um, Guys, <laughs> Chris, you hate him. <laughs> so uh, you I, I, can you can punt, and I think that it's a viable strategy. I think one, uh, it depends on whether it's that ten and zero or one and zero weekly scoring because. If it's 10 and 0 and you keep winning 5.5 to 4.5, you're not going to really have a good team. If it's 1 and 0, uh, then that's a different story because you can win 60% of your games six to four. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I, I'm definitely more likely to punt uh, steals or saves in this format.
2: Yeah, I love punting steals. I mentioned it before. I like to target guys that contribute in batting average and sluggers. I mean, so like for every guy that you take that will hit home runs that will hurt your batting average, you try and get someone who will prop it back up. Someone like a Michael Brantley or an Alex Verdugo. Uh, But yeah, every time someone hits a home run, they impact four different categories. They impact your batting average, home runs, Mm -hmm. runs, and RBIs. So those things are um, all correlated and steals. I mean, it's just such a wacky stat. And especially... I mean, trying to predict steals for a season is hard enough. Trying to predict steals on a weekly basis is just yeah. impossible. So it's just completely well, lucky. It's,
0: it, it's really the upcharge for steals that makes it worth doing. I don't like, I don't, I've don't. i never been a proponent of punting categories, and I still don't think it's worth doing in Roto because you have to give yourself a chance to yeah. move up in all the different categories Correct. over the course of the season. But in, in, in this one, uh, where, um, you know, that's not a thing, uh, you're just going week by week with it. Uh, I, I think it makes sense. I think it makes sense as long as you're not, you know, gifted them in the first round with Ronald Acuna or Trey Turner or whatever. If you just happen to be in the right spot to take them, obviously you're not punting steals at that point. You're you're probably going to win steals a lot of the time. But if they don't come easily, uh, you don't, like, denying yourself steals doesn't rob you of anything else. It's, you know, if you, if you were to punt on starting pitcher, for instance, that's probably, that's, you're not giving yourself much of a chance in strikeouts or wins every yeah. week. But in, if you just punt steals, it's just steals, and you're you're actually gaining in the other categories by not paying up for the steals the way everybody else is.
1: And that's why steals and saves are the two easiest to to punt because they are, yeah, the most independent of the other categories. Um, I get punting
0: saves. I, I I think that's true what you just said. But it goes back to what I was saying for roto. I think it's such an easy category to do well in because there are new safe sources constantly emerging.
1: And it also depends on if you're in a, I've played in head to head categories with standard road, rosters where you start 14 hitters by position and then just nine pitchers. Mm -hmm. Um, in which case you can just go nine starting pitchers. Uh, one thing that I do like to do is keep a flexible roster and look at the matchups. Um, because if I've got two two relievers in my lineup, and I look at the upcoming matchup, and that guy doesn't have any relievers, I'll probably only start one of those relievers, and you know try to get an extra starter in there to give myself a chance to compete in those wins and strikeout categories, um, and still you know hope that that guy gets a save that week, which you know it's never a guarantee.
2: I will once again remind people what the Marmol strategy is. We have talked about it a lot, but in case you've missed it, it is basically that you only draft relievers to put into your pitcher spots. And I think the standard Yahoo head-to-head categories lineup is two starting pitchers, two relief pitchers, and then just four pitchers. So that can be either starters or relievers. And there are some pitchers on Yahoo that have starting pitcher eligibility that are relievers. I think Diego Castillo has it, Seth Lugo there's a few others. I think Jose Leclerc has it as well. Um, but yeah, so you can get some relievers in your starting pitcher spots there as well. And the whole point here is you have to make sure your league has a low weekly innings minimum or no minimum at all to pull this off. And what you're doing is by not starting, starting pitchers, you are punting wins and strikeouts. But the hope is that you dominate all other eight categories, including offense, so you, you use your first 10 picks in the draft or something along those lines on hitters. So theoretically, you should have an awesome offensive lineup. And then you just load up on the best relievers that are available. Do you-
0: theoretically, but it's much harder to guarantee than I think it was in the years when the Carlos Marmal strategy was uh, founded. When, when hitters came in a lot of different shapes and sizes. Now everybody's just... Most every hitter is hitting between... Uh, 25 and 35 home runs, you know, and and when you're breaking it down into week, week by week and having to out, outperform the other guy in a, in the small sample of a week, you know, just because you have the better hitters overall, which is like I said, is hard to guarantee in the first place. It's even harder to guarantee over a tiny sample like that.
2: So I'm assuming you stay away from the Marmol strategy, Scott.
0: I was never in favor of it. Even when,
1: so I thought you frank- could, I, I, even when I thought it was justified, I, I frank, really don't think it's justified. That's viable. an insulting question. Why? Why is that? Chris? You would ask Scott if he would not draft starting pitchers? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Hey, maybe this is the one format where he doesn't have to worry about it, uh, right?
2: So, um,
1: no. one Scott always worries in every format. True. Especially about starting pitcher.
2: Yeah. I mean, if he wasn't drafting starting pitchers, he would probably just be worried about not drafting enough relievers at that point. But uh, I mean, it's it's
0: funny that I've become this like starting pitcher (laughs) proponent because I've you know I've been doing this what thirteen years maybe it's my fourteen I don't know it's been a long time and for probably the first eight nine of years I I couldn't have been further in the opposite direction like give me my ace in round nine you know and it's just.
1: I, it's I will just say, the whole like,
0: turned upside down.
1: You keep treating yourself like some iconoclast, like you're some brave truth teller. Everyone agrees with you now, Scott. <laughs> I know,
0: I know. <laughs> like, I know.
1: starting pitchers cost I, more I, than ever. I, I still want to go
0: further than them, though. You know, you got I get you got people it, making it. pocket ace pitches for pocket aces. Like, that's not enough. That is not. A, I'm not saying. I'm not saying you can't go with a starting pitcher with your first and second pick. That's fine. I'm just saying you can't rest on your laurels if you go starting pitcher first and second round.
2: I have mentioned before that I use this pseudo Marmol strategy that I like to call the two by four, where I get two aces, two solid closers, two low end closers, and then two high end setup relievers, and then just load up my entire bench with upside arms and I think it allows you to be competitive across the board. I used it in a league that I actually won, so that's why I like to stick with it at this point. We did a head-to-head categories mock just last week. You can find the results on the site, but here is what, what I wound up with using that strategy. Luis Castillo and Lucas Giolito were my two aces. Rice Iglesias and Jordan Hicks were my two solid closers. Jose Leclerc and Brian Garcia were my two low-end closers, and then I had Devin Williams and Giovanni Gallegos as my two high-end closers. Setup relievers on my bench, I had Julio Arias, Frankie Montas, Dallas Keuchel, Tony Gonsolin, and TJ Antone. So just hoping a few of those either hit or you just play the matchups, right? You don't have to start them. It's just you play them whenever they have good matchups.
1: One thing I would point out is, you know, if you just do the math, five starting pitchers across 12 teams, technically you're not that undermanned at starting pitcher. You know, based on ADP, you've got, Five starting pitchers in to, inside of the top fifty-five. Mm, you know, just, you're, it's just you're you're aiming. It's a high-low strategy, basically. Yeah, yum. Um, but like that's you're not with this strategy. You're not necessarily sacrificing all that much. Like you got the thirty-fifth starter in in ADP. You got the forty-eighth <laughs> and the fifty-third.
2: So and TJ Anto, who's going to finish as the number one pitcher this year? Gosh, he looks. He looks so good. I'm excited. I'm excited about TJ Antone. Um, He's not going to be in the rotation, Frank. uh, Don't say that. Can we just get Wade Miley out of here? Like, why are we doing the Wade Miley thing? It's 2021. (laughs) That's true. I mean, I
0: I can't say he'll never, Anton will never be in the rotation this year. But I I don't think he's going to be at the start of the year, so he's going to get dropped in a lot of leagues, and you know, pick him up to scoop him up then.
2: Yeah, pick him up. All right, let's hit some salary cap drafts. May honestly, we could do two hours on just strategy, and I knew this was going to happen, but it's fine. There's a lot to talk about. Salary cap
0: we drafts. Could do two hours on strategy for each of these formats.
2: Seriously, yeah, there is <laughs> never ending information. Uh, salary cap drafts, formerly known as auctions. We actually got this email from Wes Hughes a couple of weeks ago asking a bunch of questions. So let's do this a little bit rapid fire style. And we will start with you this time, Chris, what is your nomination process in a salary cap draft? Do you nominate players you do not want so that everybody else has to spend their money? Do you like to mix it up? Do you maybe throw out a player here and there that you actually do want to get? So you could spend some money. How do you do it?
1: Generally speaking, I go with a guy I don't want. Uh, I think occasionally there's value in throwing out, um, you know, very early on a lower end guy who you like just to see if, uh, you know, the, the beginning of a, of, a, an, of a salary cap draft will go one of two ways. Either everyone will be a little gun shy for the first few players or everyone will go nuts for the first few players. Um, and so if you throw out a boring guy who you'd be fine getting for, you know, five dollars like Anthony Rizzo, you might be able to get him for that price. Whereas, you know, if he went later in a draft, when people knew how many first basemen were left, you know, it might push him up a little bit. So, um, but generally speaking, I prefer nominating guys I don't want.
0: Scott? Uh, Yeah. What do you think? I kind of go, I've kind of, look, I don't want to say I always nominate players I want because that. That's not something you want to reveal, <laughs> and I don't anyway. I don't. There are there are times when I'm just looking to drain other people's money, and then obviously it makes sense to nominate somebody you don't want. But if if my whole if 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 my whole plan hinges on me getting a certain player, and you know I'm 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 keeping myself from bidding on other players that could potentially be good values, um, because I'm counting on getting that player. I gotta just put that player out there because, like, it, it may it may be a lost cause. I, I and then I've lost my chance to get all those other guys that would have been great. Um, and you know, so that that happens several times over the course of the auction. Like, okay, I want this one player. Everything I do is going to depend on whether or not I get this player. Let's just put the player out there.
2: I also yep. like throwing players out at a position that I've already filled. So you know, you're likely not going to be bidding on that player anyway. So you can get more money off of the table that way. Uh, Scott, when do you enter a bid for a player? Do you jump in early, or are you that person, that person, who waits until it gets down to like 2-1, and then you bid? Or do you change it up?
0: I mean, change it up. Change it up. I, I don't usually purposely wait till it gets down to 2-1, uh, because you don't know how you don't know who else could jump in, and and then you end up having to bid two dollars up yeah. instead of one. You know, if you wait too long, uh, if if there's a good volley back and forth, you know, me and one other guy just keep bidding each other up one. I might hesitate for like three, four extra seconds so that he thinks I'm like running out of steam in case he's trying to bid me up. You know? Yeah. And then you know, and then if he bids me up right away after that, I'm like, whatever. Um, but that that that's really the only time where I consciously wait to put in the bid.
1: This is one of those things that I, I just acknowledge is like uh is something I'm not great at with auctions, is I, I definitely telegraph. Uh, especially if like we're man, anytime we've done like salary drafts in the office back when I worked down there, and it was me and Heath in the same room, <laughs> Heath would troll me so much on it because he knew. <laughs> uh you know Mask one which control. players i want and then he knew that i i hate when people wait until the last second uh, yeah. it just you know when you got adhd like it's just like that 10 second clock just takes forever <laughs> when you got to wait again and again. And now, so now, uh,
0: now I know you've gotten on me when I, I, I might be, in oh, a I, story I, right? I, I did but that, you've that one on I, me yeah, when I, I waited till the last second, but yeah. that is because I literally needed till the last second yeah. to decide.
1: No, that's, that's <laughs> the thing is some some people do it, but like, this is the fun yeah. thing about this format is there's a lot of, there's the psychology factor involved and you can, yeah. um, you know, try to psych the people that you're drafting without by right. waiting longer or hitting the button immediately. Um
2: mm-hmm.
1: or you know, I know RJ White, our our boss, he likes to he just does the jump bid. Like if he thinks a player's worth $35, he's not gonna sit around doing this five, six, seven, eight. He'll just hit twenty five dollars. Which yeah. again, as someone who you know, for whom patience is not a strong suit, I appreciate that.
2: I'm writing all these things down, Chris, because we actually have a live salary cap draft uh podcast that we're going to do coming up soon so that it's going to be it's going to be I'll just wise. say <laughs> I th-
1: I think I handle myself in in salary cap drafts better than Scott does. Scott always just devolves immediately into self-loathing in the middle yeah, of the salary cap. Yeah, I spend
0: I send, spend most of every salary cap draft thinking I've ruined everything. That <laughs> oh that's gosh. that's there and then there comes a point usually about, you know, 3 quarters of the way through where it's like, okay, all right, this this is starting to shape up okay. But I usually do something early on or miss a chance to do something early on that just eats me up for the next hour and a half.
1: <laughs> and this is the kind of thing where you can look at our, our salary values on the ranking site. You can look at the, what was it, head-to-head points salary cap draft that we did uh, last week. And you can use those as a guide, but... It, there's only so much value you can get from them because you'll have, you know, some guys just go for way less than they should. Some guys go for way more. Um, so you know, that's that's another it's, thing to, to and keep that's, in mind with, when you you're know, looking I, at those results. You learn so much about
0: your how it's going to go just from getting in there and seeing the way the first few bids go mm-hmm. because, um, you know, if you see. You see the high-end guys all going for way. This, this is really what all projected uh, salary cap values are about: is is to know how to calibrate your expectations. Really, yeah. is what I think that all they're... like if if the top players are going for five to ten dollars more than what they're projected to go for,
1: you got to uh, okay. Adjust. There's going
0: to be some good values later. Yeah, and maybe you shouldn't invest in many as many of them as you'd planned. If it's the other way around, then okay, go total stars and scrubs because you're going to overpay for some middling guys. Just because there's going to be too much money on the table later.
2: You have to be able to account for inflation, basically. Is yes, use them as a guide in our draft kit. You can find all of our salary cap values, and you should have those going into uh, your draft. And you should, you know, I usually like to plan out a whole thing. I have a bunch of different targets and players that I want, and I have an idea of what I want to spend. But say a player within that tier early on goes for. Five to ten dollars more, as Scott said, you have to be able to adjust and know. Okay, well, I don't want to be completely left out. If I am going to spend more money up here to get my player, so be it. That means you know some of the mid tier players or even lower end players are going to go for cheaper than they should. But just don't be completely scared off when you see players
1: go for more. You have to adjust for
2: that inflation. You have to
1: be f- flexible in salary cap drafts more than any other format.
2: Uh, I did just want to ask: Are you guys more likely to go with a stars and scrubs approach in a salary cap draft or? Do you like to go with a more balanced approach, say, you know, the $15 to $30 players? Because for me, it's it's a, it's dependent on how deep the league is. I have a 15-team yep. Roto League that I play in every single year, and I will not spend more than $35 on a player, if that. I mean, I, I yeah. really live in the $20 to $30 range, and I just mm-hmm. I, I want to be more balanced than anything. I, I don't want to pay up in that type of format because you pay up next thing you know that player gets hurt the replacement value yeah. in a deeper league is much worse than if it's in a 10 or 12 team league well
0: and, and it also makes a difference what the scrubs actually look like i mean a scrub a one two dollar scrub in a 12 team roto league could be uh you know John a high Peters. profile sleeper it could it could be who chris
1: like Jock Peterson, who might hit 35.
0: Oh, it, it could be even somebody better than that, just yeah. depending because somebody's... If, if people overpay for the studs, there's going to be really good players that go for cheap. And then you also have the the waiver wire. Like the key to stars and scrubs or studs and duds, whatever you call it, is that your um your scrubs aren't actually going to be scrubs in the end, whether because they're, they're just good values in the draft itself or because... You know, good options are going to emerge on the waiver wire that you'll get to fill those spots later on. So if it gets if it's if it's such a deep league that the scrubs are really scrubs, or that they're little waiver wire to speak of, then you have to balance your dollars a little more because you can't afford to have those holes. So I would say fifteen team mixed or deeper, I try to balance more. Certainly AL only. I mean, I I might not get any real stars in those formats, because I'm, I'm so concerned about filling all the spots uh, with the budget I have. But, you know, 12 teams or fewer, definitely stars and scrubs.
2: Alright, let's do some rapid fire. I still have so much, but we'll just try to get to as many of these things in the next, you know, 5 to 10 minutes. Um, let's talk a little dynasty. Scott, what is your approach in, if you're doing a startup dynasty draft, are you, when, like this is, I there's no way to do this fast. I don't even know why I said it, but... <laughs> Whatever, however long you want to talk, Scott, tell me what, what your approach would be in a startup dynasty draft. Are you more of like a win now? Do you look at like a three to five year window? Do you take all Mm. the top prospects and you punt years one and two? I mean, there are so Mm. many different ways to win in dynasty.
0: Yeah. And I've, I've started a few before and you know, I have dynasty rankings, the top one hundred and fifty. I actually just updated it and you'll probably notice that, um, you're not going to get the highest end prospects. If you follow those dynasty rankings, I know some people like to do a dynasty startup, just loading up on prospects and just tanking the first couple of years. I don't see, I don't think there's any reason to do that. You know, most of the high end players are young guys in their mid twenties, you know, like they're going to be like form a nucleus. You can actually believe in because they're proven and they're going to help you win right now. Um, and I'm not saying I sell out for right now, I, I, you know, I, I've built a solid nucleus of 20 somethings that I know are good. And then I take whatever values fall on both ends of the spectrum. Cause a lot of 30 somethings are going to fall. And then, you know, kind of those second tier prospects are going to fall. A a lot of them are going to end up being great values. And so I just gobble up the values wherever I see them on both ends of the spectrum But you know, my, my goal is to always contend in a dynasty league always. So you don't want to, you don't want to neglect any, anything really. Um, if you, if you build a strong core, uh, when other guys aren't, that's going to give you, that's going to give you trade assets too, that you can then like, but trading, trading is such a part of my dynasty strategy. Uh, it's it's really the format where I invest the most time in trading. And I'm always, always trading for next year is kind of a goal of mine. And if you're always trading for next year, um, pretty soon you're going to be so strong in the current year that it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to mess up at that point.
2: Chris, not in Dynasty League, just in general, how do you handle FAB, which is free agent acquisition budget in season? In a minute or less, are you aggressive early? Do you save it for the long haul? How do you how do you approach
1: Fab? Uh, I think you probably want to be more aggressive early. Um, you know, you're always. I, I think there's there's kind of a you know you can always save it for the next big guy, but if it's a need that you have right there and it can be an impact player, um, I, I don't really see much reason to to hold out because for one thing, if you're week two. Uh, you know, fab bid hits, you're getting 23 weeks out of them. Correct. Whereas if you're week 12 one, that being said, uh, early season guys can get overrated and you can have, uh, I, I'm i thinking of like Matt Davidson hitting five home runs in the first four games or whatever <laughs> it was a couple of years ago, or um, oh, there was someone last year who had a really, really great start? Um, I think Joe. Yeah. I think Joe
2: Jimenez had a save for each of the first three games, and he might have ended the season with three
1: saves. Yeah, so. and so that's one of the things that you just always have to keep in mind early in the season, and it's not just for Fab. Is just don't overreact to the first week. Um, you know, the the early results don't necessarily mean anything more, and that's always a really hard thing to keep in mind. Um, but. If it is a situation where uh, you know, a you know, let's say we get to opening day, Cleveland hasn't announced who their closer is and all of a sudden Nick Whitgren gets the first two saves, you probably want to put in a pretty hefty bid on him. You don't want to be conservative there because that guy's good enough to be the closer all year long.
2: Yeah, typically so I, I
1: think it yeah. I think it depends on the situation.
2: Yeah. Typically I'm I'm more aggressive early on. if you hit on a stud, as you mentioned, you have him for a longer portion of the season. So that's usually how I look at it. But I will point out that, yes, prospects are going to go for a ton of money in Fab, but they usually get called up further into the season. First month, second month. I remember a couple of years ago, Jordan Alvarez, I mean, he didn't break out until that year. And then he came yep. up, I think, in June or July. And he yep. was a you league winner for a lot of people.
1: What I would say is you don't want... You don't want to blow all your fab before the prospects get called up, which is, you know, there are, we generally know when that's going to happen. It's like after the first two weeks of the season, uh, a handful of them will get called up and then starting in the middle of May for the super two guys. Um, So you don't want to blow all of it before that crop comes up, but you don't necessarily want to get past that point with a significant amount of your fab left because then the opportunities are going to be rarer and rarer yeah. for those impact players. But
0: there are there are two things to keep in mind with how you distribute your fab dollars over the course of the year in my mind. The rest of your league is going there is never going to be more interested than at the start of the year. Yeah. And we're never going to know less about the season that's about to unfold than at the start of the year. So there are going to be especially more impact season. players that you can get earlier and there's going to be less competition for your fab later. So, yeah. you know, um, if it's a league that allows $0 bids, yeah, I might spend true. half my budget in the first six weeks yeah, and then slow way down because there's less competition for, yep. it, you know,
1: fair enough. Yeah. And, 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 you know, this season, especially we're not going to know anything, you know, early on, we don't really know what the impact of the dead and ball will be. If it will yeah. have an impact at all. We, we, we're coming off a 60-game season, so we don't know who was real and who was fake last season. So there, there's going to be more turnover, uh, I, I would think, at the back end of most rosters this year than than last year because of those factors in particular.
2: All right, we're going to wrap there. Let us know what you think, everybody. Did you enjoy our first ever just full show dedicated to strategy? If you do, hopefully we'll make it a uh, an annual thing that we do right before the season get started. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.